Hey, everyone. You found the Don't Suck at AI podcast, where you'll hear from AI industry icons about how their companies are producing successful AI solutions that are changing the way we do business today and into the future. So here's your host, John Lindsay. All right. Welcome, everyone. And thanks for joining us on the Don't Suck at AI podcast. Today, we have a fantastic show for you as we're welcoming Catherine Cat Casey, Chief Growth Officer at Reveal, passionate AI evangelist, particularly as it pertains to legal technology, LinkedIn superstar and new puppy parent. And I'm going to stop right there on the puppy parent because I actually heard the puppy a minute ago. So I'm going to guess you're going to hear we're going to we're going to do a little game here. I'm going to guess you're in you're in tech. So the puppy, first of all, boy or girl? It's a little boy. A boy. OK, so his name is Hyperlink. No, it's Frankie. I'm from oh. Texas and the most okay. famous barbecue joint in Texas is Franklin. And he looks a little like brisket. So little brisket. Frankie. <laughs> Brisket. Okay. So I was completely off base. My next one was going to be spam and emoji. So let me tell you a little bit about what I know about Catherine, guys. Catherine has an amazing story. She decided that she wanted to be an attorney when she was 12. You heard that right, 12. She accomplished that goal and along the way somehow graduated from Harvard in three years. She decided she was not enamored with law in general, but was super fired up about technology within the legal domain. So she spent some time running technical divisions for some big four firms and continued that tech and AI focus right on into her current role with Reveal. Catherine reached out to me on LinkedIn, obviously, because she has like 25 jillion followers and I have 25 total. So you can see <laughs> where there would be an enormous interest in us. On the Don't Suck platform, we always throw in a fun fact. And so I've got one for you, Catherine. After becoming a bit enchanted with law, I know that she took a break and began selling BMWs in Orange County and became the top selling BMW salesperson in North America. True story? It is true story. True I sold story. the first M5 for a shocking amount over a sticker. First one in Orange County. All right. So what I missed, what would you tell people that I didn't just share about you? You know, I mean, I think the only other kind of really interesting piece of the pie is I kind of fell into thought leadership around legal AI and speaking and writing on it and building out a couple different brands, eDiscovery Cat and the TechnoCat, with an aim at making AI not just suck less, but be less scary for a lot of people. The legal industry by nature is not a tech-driven space. It's not a, a, you know, you don't have a ton of statisticians and mathematicians that are like, hey, I'm going to go get a liberal arts Juris doctorate. And so it's an uncomfortable place for a lot of legal practitioners. And so over the last decade, I've kind of built a big following, helping people bridge that gap. And that, that's become a real passion for me, why I want to talk on podcasts and in videos and, you know, at conferences like uh, ILTA to help people understand that the tech is not going to replace them or hurt them or make their job harder. It's there to amplify them, kind of like I, I compare it to becoming Iron Man, like this, the Tony Stark suit is sitting in a closet, not doing anything until Tony presses a button and interacts with it. So a lot of this newer technology is, it's not so much AI that replaces humans, it's augmented intelligence. It's tools that make you have better information to make decisions, amplify your decision. It's you supercharged. And so I'm super passionate about kind of drumming that home to a lot of people so that AI seems like less of a, you know, Terminator coming to get them and more like a really useful tool to help them do their job better. Great point. And I love that analogy. That is easy to understand even for people that are not techie. So, well, so when I have people on, typically one of the first things we want to know is, so in your space, I mean, you know, we're hearing a lot of AI that's gone bad. So 
Two-fold question, what has sucked in the legal space from an AI perspective? And then more importantly, where are you seeing AI applied successfully these days? What's going on out there that is really awesome? Yeah, I mean, I think what sucked with AI to begin with, when it kind of got introduced into the market in 2006, seven, and there were some preliminary cases on it, it was framed almost like this mythical black box that only experts and statisticians and linguists could use, which I think from a marketing standpoint, people thought, oh, well, attorneys are really smart. They're going to want it to seem sophisticated and cutting edge and next. But what ended up happening is people thought, oh, I don't have that skill, so I'm not going to use it. And instead of great early iterations of AI you know, sweeping the industry, it has had a very low adoption rate. What's going great now, and this is not just my space, is kind of the e-discovery space, so finding that needle in the haystack and data, but also in contract space and case management and all the different areas, there was a wake-up call. AI doesn't have to be scary and formal and require experts, right? It's, it's not that way in our common everyday lives. It's not that way when we interact with the algorithms in Google or in Amazon or in Facebook. And legal tech and AI, legal AI, if you will, realize that hey, maybe we just kind of bake in seamlessly better AI in the background. People don't have to know that they're using AI. It doesn't have to be an AI workflow. And because of that, newer tools have a more seamless approach to AI, which is leading to more adoption. And this is across, you know, finding evidence, finding weird clauses in contracts, finding better billing, finding efficiency, all of that. It's kind of gone the complete opposite route of instead of overcomplicated, it's intuitive and seamless and baked in. And of course, I'm going to use AI. It would be silly not to. And I think that switch is really leading to a tipping point for adoption and frankly, for removing some of the fear that people have. Oh, great point, Catherine. And look, I've called you Catherine this whole time. And, I, and I'm <laughs> thinking that maybe that's not what people that know you will call you. So is it Cat? It's, it's definitely Cat. But All right. fine, yeah. just don't call me Kathy. Okay, I better change it up then because I'm feeling too <laughs> formal now. I'm, I'm seeing Kat everywhere on the uh, LinkedIn and everywhere else and thinking I'm calling you Catherine. I better stop. So, all right. All right. Well, so talk about that. Let, let, let's let's expand a little bit on that. So in the practices today, you started a new role and, and yeah. you're out there trying to bring some of the legal laggards into the space. And, you know, I imagine that some of them are coming kicking and screaming and some of them are coming willingly. But what is what is your methodology for encouraging people that might not be you know, the most technological savvy people out there. I liken them to doctors. We do a lot of work with doctors as well. And while they know they what they know, they're not necessarily technology lovers. So how do you encourage, convince, evangelize that group to take that step uh, with you and in this new firm, I suspect you're going to be expected to do a lot of that. You know, the first step is demystifying AI. Lawyers as a group are risk adverse. They, they're trained to think of issues and challenges and, you know, potential litigation or potential government regulation investigation. So why on earth would they want to try something cutting edge, brand new or unproven, right? So I start by saying, all right, well, listen, the machine learning we're using was written about in 1956 by John McCarthy, not new. You are personally <laughs> using it every day in your banking, in your retail decisions, in all the applications that you and your kids use every day. Your kids use TikTok, that's AI powered. You're, you're using LinkedIn and looking at your you know, stream of, of posts powered by AI. And so I start by demystifying AI generally. And then I talk about how it's being used specifically in law. And I, I sometimes say, you know, law is really behind the curve in using AI. And I don't necessarily mean like there's a lack of adoption. I just mean it's it's pretty well-proven and vetted applications of AI that have worked their way into the law. 
finding evidence and patterns more quickly. That's a, you know, that was written about in the earliest days of machine learning. So it's been validated and vetted for 50, 60 plus years and used extensively by almost every lawyer's client. Well, that's a lot less threatening than a black box that is scary and I don't know how it works. And so by demystifying it, that's the first step. And then step two is just, I'm honest, like, there's too much data out there for the human mind or 50 human minds or 150 human minds to go through it all. Cases used to be a couple thousand documents. Now they're in the millions, hundreds of millions of documents sometimes. And if I look at my morning today, I got up, I answered a voicemail. I looked at a text message. I looked on my social media. I had a Slack communication. I had a WhatsApp communication. Then I went back and looked at LinkedIn. Then I got out of bed to go shower. If you wanted to know what I did as a human, as someone in a case, you'd have to be able to connect all of that. And the human mind doesn't work that way. You need to be able to rely on the computational power and the pattern recognition of AI to make those connections of concepts of who's talking to who with what frequency. And there's just not enough hours in a day. So when you combine, it's not scary with you really need it, adoption becomes a lot more manageable. Oh, that's a great methodology there. And actually, that dovetails perfectly into your role as, as an established influencer. So right now, there's a ton of hype out there. You see it. We all see it, right? Sometimes it, it, it helps people make decisions to move into the space and take advantage of it. Sometimes people look at it and go, it's all marketing. You know, I, I just can't buy into it right now. How do you, as an influencer in, in your role out there, how do you manage to not push the hype and help people focus on really establishing a business problem that they're trying to solve. I mean, as a as an AI practitioner, you know, we run a firm that we get to the nuts and bolts, right? We've got to find a business case and go solve a problem with this stuff. It can't just be, let's just go do AI because we read Moneyball, right? It doesn't work that way. So how do you balance that? You know, you're carrying a lot of people and influencing a lot of people. How do you do that with managing the hype as to how you're applying, you know, the real real essence of what AI is going to solve for their particular business. I mean, the good thing is while I'm an influencer, that's kind of my side hustle at the, <laughs> at the root of it. I, I, you know, I ran a global e-discovery practice across 25 different offices across multiple countries. When I was at Gibson Dunn, I ran the computer forensic e-discovery group for PwC and KPMG. I was the head of innovation for another cloud-based e-discovery company. And even now I'm involved with our engineering team with mergers and acquisitions, I start by having been there and being able to explain like, all right, why is computer vision important, right? Well, I've got an example of a case where there was market collusion and people were writing on whiteboards trying to do drug price collusion, right? I had to do that manually. It cost me $10 million. Using computer vision, I could have saved half of that. Or, hey, I had a multinational bank get fined billions of dollars and the bank that I represented had just hired five people that worked with the guy who had the source of the fine. Well, social network analysis powered by AI, let me see who in that group was talking to the guy. Then I did concept searching, right? So some just basic unsupervised machine learning to see if they were talking about the cartel club and other fraud-based stuff. And then I was able to do structured regex-driven uh, you know, parsing of a, a trade database and say, okay, you find this company $2 billion. I've got an example where my guys... My five people might have been talking about spoofing granny, might have been sounding like bad guys. But when I did all the analytics, I proved they didn't do the trades that were problematic. Saved my company front page of the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, shame and over a billion dollars. So I can speak to this stuff isn't just hypothetical. It's super powerful. And then I can also speak to having seen other people in the industry have happier clients, accelerate their career more fast, 
get on the executive committee by 40, get to partner by 30. So people are accelerating their career by using AI to differentiate themselves. And so I can speak of, I've been there, done that. I got ahead using technology. I have examples of cases that would have gone sideways or did go sideways without it. And there's other people that are getting ahead. Don't you have FOMO yet? And so that's kind of the, the, the path I take. That is excellent. And you're right. When you talk about having this feeling that maybe you you don't quite fit in, you fit in completely because you've done this and you've been on the ground and watched this industry evolve. So so talk to me a little bit about e-discovery, because again, I, I think that you know I'm going to have a lot of listeners out there. And I know I was one of them until I started to look at it. I didn't really know exactly what that was. And so talk to me about why it's so specific in terms of where AI is being applied in the legal community and why e-discovery is, is the main topic for you guys right now. Yeah. So when there's a litigation or an investigation, there's a process called discovery. Basically, you find the evidence and you've got to provide some of it to the opposing side or you've got to provide it to a regulator. Sounds pretty straight ahead. Well, you know, trouble comes into paradise when email becomes the language of business. And then in the last five years, the language of business now is across multiple social channels, collaboration tools, ephemeral messaging, which self-destructs, text message, and you name it. So if I'm a practitioner that has a litigation, I need to be able to go through that electronically stored information, ESI, and cull through it to find that evidence that's going to build my case. And I've got to provide to the opposing counsel or to the, to the regulator. Well, that means that discovery, instead of being paper in bankers boxes, that gives you nightmarish paper cuts, evolved into e-discovery, electronic digital discovery. And the trouble again comes into paradise because it went from a couple hundred emails to a couple thousand to, you know, hundreds a day and not just email, but social media club, all these other different types. And so the volume has gone up exponentially. The cost has gone up and people need to rely on this tech in order to make this massive volume of data manageable when really you just need to figure out the who, the what, the when, the where, and what I got to give to the other side. And so that's why one of the most, I guess, costly areas of litigation has kind of exploded in this e-discovery space, which is why there's been investment and a desire to find technology to make it more manageable. And so tons of internal, external investment and a ton of opportunity for technologists to help bridge the gap for lawyers that are like, I just want to litigate. I, I went to law school not to deal with ones and zeros and bits and bytes. I want to try my case. And so the technology helps. Kat, is that typically something that's outsourced to other groups? Or you know, do you have to be a big law firm to be able to have internal AI expertise for specifically for e-discovery? Or are they sourcing that out to groups like you guys? How does that work? You know, it varies. I have seen people that are smaller firms and solo shops, especially ones that maybe are dealing with a class action, kind of a David versus Goliath thing, that are using AI as a force multiplier so they can compete. Um, or they don't have the money to hire a bunch of attorneys and they, they need to use the AI to get through the data. Then you've also got larger organizations, so big corporations, large law firms that have a really big litigation or investigation portfolio that might have an entire team in-house. And then at any size along the spectrum, you might have people that are working with service providers who license my technology, other technology that's not as good, I kid, um, <laughs> but um, that are using that kind of as a, an extension of uh, their capability and their ability to parse data. People that watch this stuff, you know, sometimes if you're like me and you don't get in trouble with the law and you don't need a Never. lawyer very often and yeah, Never. you know, you're, you're good, clean living. You know, your only exposure to this type of stuff is in the movies and TV, right? And you're watching people sitting there with stacks of paper and, and they've got to go through all this information to get prepared for a case. It's Perry Mason stuff back in the day, right? And so what has AI done 
too, because I've, I've heard you talk earlier about, you know, all these platforms that are now coming into play that didn't used to come into play, right? It used to be, uh, you know, you'd get some paper and you'd have to organize that and you'd be ready for a case and they have to read through all that. Yeah. And now you've got AI working against all this data, but now you've got all these streams of data coming in. So has it expedited the process? Can people, can attorneys get ready for a case faster because of AI? Or is there so much new information and so many channels that's coming from that it's really almost a wash that in the old days, we just had a little paper and we get through it. And now you've got so much stuff coming in that it wasn't doing to, to your ability to expedite cases. You know, it depends on what type of AI is being used and how aggressively it's being used. So if you're just doing kind of a little bit of just kind of organizing the data using AI, you're not going to see a massive acceleration. There, there are workflows that can dramatically reduce time to get to evidence, but you're talking about a much bigger universe of data. So in a lot of ways, I think it's a bit of a wash. The other thing though to bear in mind is there's a kind of a democratization of data. There are little divorce cases that have e-discovery. There are massive multinational opioid litigations that have e-discovery. There are slip and fall cases with e-discovery because what? There's text messages or video or social media posts or emails that are involved in all of them. And luckily, the AI, I think, has sort of bridged the justice gap because you don't have to pay 100 attorneys or 20 or 15 attorneys hours and hours of time to go through data. AI can help smaller guys get access to insight too. There's probably a floor, you know, tiny, tiny cases might struggle, but e-discovery is kind of in almost every type of litigation now, a lot of different types of antitrust cases and patent cases and investigation about, you know, collusion, all that sort of stuff. And so it's, um, AI is not necessarily making it faster, but it's making it a little more equitable um, and it's making going through a massive universe much faster than it would be manually. Put your crystal ball in front of you for this one, because, you know, as you look out into the industry, as you said, and there's all these types of data, there's video, there's pictures, there's things that we're going through that that's not easy data to analyze, right? I mean, we're still working on training our machine learning models to effectively do that type of recognition when you're talking about video and photo. Where is this going? Where, where do you see this industry going? What are you focused on right now where you're going, man, you think it's cool now, I need discovery, wait, 10 years from now. What does that look like to you? Because you're on the cutting edge here. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is I literally got, got good timing. I've got an article coming out, I think tomorrow. And I had a, a webinar I did a few days ago, specifically about computer vision. Like how do you make sense of emojis and video of all the Zoom recorded videos of, of Slack that's going to have a GIF in it, right? And, and there actually has already been a lot of advancement in image recognition, image categorization, even being able to search based off of concepts and entities within an image. So there's already a lot that's been moved ahead there. I think where the most interesting stuff that's going to be though is more about kind of creating a unified vision across all the different data sources out there and extending it through the life cycle of the case. So AI for case management, AI for expert witnesses, AI for deposition, AI for the actual litigation investigation, AI for trial you know, exhibits, AI across the entire spectrum. So I think what we'll see is AI proliferating more, being adopted more widely, and then the story being able to be pieced together more easily. And, you know, I think the work from home revolution accelerated the different ways people communicate. It made our communication go from words and phrases to much more interactive, short format, video, text, 
GIF, emoji, TikTok, you name it. And so I think we're going to see a wealth of more visual content that will drive further innovation in that space. And I can't wait to see it. I hope I, you're young. I hope I'm around long enough <laughs> to see some of this stuff take place. One more question. You can't have lived through what we all just experienced with this pandemic. And in our industry, enormous impact. And the fact that you and I are sitting at our houses right now, yeah, an yeah. enormous impact, right? The fact that Frankie's there with you right now. Frankie's working. Quiet at the moment. Frankie's working with you at home right now, right? There were only a, a number of companies doing that in the past. What has it done to your industry? And what are some of the challenges Challenges that you guys have faced you know, getting through COVID and, you know, has AI been part of any of that? Has it made it any easier to work remotely like we're all working right now? You know, I think the biggest thing that happened is for, for the folks on the call who don't really know Money Discover, it used to be done in person. So you would have a team of 50 or 100 attorneys in a warehouse or in a massive conference room, just clicking through, looking at docs, right? And what the work from home revolution caused is a massive shift to cloud a massive shift to understanding you can't completely rely on a horde of humans. You have to be able to rely on technology to gain insights. And so there was a massive adoption of SaaS-based tech, like my company. I mean, we're kind of a hybrid of, you know, on-premise if you want it on the server or in the cloud. So a move to, to virtual for data collection, virtual for data processing, for review, um, and then an increased reliance on AI because those teams of people in the same room option really isn't there anymore. And so if your case team is in 50 different locations and you want to have context and insight, you know, having technology that helps make those when you can't just, you know, tap someone next to you on the shoulder is really impactful. We've gotten to the point now where I want to do a couple of things. First of all, there's going to be a lot of people listening to you out there. They're going to want to know how to get a hold of you now. The 25 jillion people that already follow you, they probably, they probably already know that. But the people that you're going to be exposed to in our community on the ass side, they're probably going to want to follow you more. And you had mentioned to me, you're probably going to have some podcasts of your own coming out in the future. So tell us where we can find you so we can keep up with what you're doing. And as these new things come out, like your podcast, people are going to want to listen in. So where do they, where do they locate you? Awesome. So, I mean, First spot is always my website, www.thetechnocat.com. And then on LinkedIn, I'm Catherine Cat Casey, searchable. Um, you can also just do, I think, uh, linkedin.com slash Catherine Casey, and that should pull me up. And then uh, Twitter, my handle is uh, at eDiscoveryCat. So any of those. Um, or email me, ckc at revealdata.com. I, I love talking with people in the industry, outside the industry. Folks are looking to kind of innovate. I, I think that, you know, the more knowledge, the better. Kat, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I want to tell our listeners, thank you for joining us. And since Kat and I are both in Texas, I didn't realize she's actually just down uh -huh. the street from us here, uh, close to Austin, Texas. So why don't we give a shout out to everybody from Texas and tell them thank you for listening to us. And uh, Kat, we're going to have you back on because it's just... Oh. It's just Twist Good my arm. I get to on. talk about AI. It's my We're going to have you back on. So, so Pat Frankie for us. I and, will. Um, and thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, from Texas, we are out.